0: Family vacation 2017. What a great sight it is! Absolutely loving. Y'all having a good time? I know I'm having a good time. And so what? Oh, oh, hey, Winsville, yeah, we're live. Winsville is actually here. Hey guys, my name's Clint Hill. I'm not as good as Robert, so let's just get over it. And uh, <laughs> and so you know, I remember all the way back to the first c m u thing I ever went it was two thousand and eight and that's a long time ago almost it was nine years ago I got mixed up with this crowd you know and uh what had happened was you know i I I traveled with some people that I barely knew. Me and Kelsey just moved to Corpus Christi. I went to this church one time, and I'll never forget them asking. I mean, just walking through the door, and I remember they had a a sign up in the church to the right, and it said right there, we are looking to start a campus ministry page for our drive. And I was like, hey, I know a thing about campus ministry or two. I've been in it for a couple years. I would love to help out with that. And they said, do you want to go on a trip with us? I mean, this was the first time I ever met these guys. And I was like, well, how long's the trip? Circe, Arkansas, do you want to go with us? How far is 16-hour drive. I just met you guys. We going to handle snakes? What's going on? I mean, you know, is this one of those things you're just going to drag the new guy on the woods and murder him? Because legally you've got to tell me before you do that. You know that, right? I mean... I got a mutual consent in that area, you know? And and so and something in me said yes. And so I left my wife at home while she I mean her brand new job, I didn't have a job. I went to Searcy, Arkansas, and I got introduced to these guys who were super different in every which way. They were nice, they were caring. They were uh, they were very, I mean, they had a great message. They had great, uh, I, I mean, they were, I just never kind of, I never experienced that kind of warmth. And then uh, afterwards, I'll never forget that night, we went to a IHOP. And I met one of the jerkiest friends I've ever met before in my life. And he was sitting in the corner And he denies it to this day, but he said this to me. And I was kind of looking. I was new. I was a new guy. There's a lot of people sitting there and everything. He's sitting in the corner, and he was kind of popped up like this. And he looked at me, and he tilted his head, and he said, what's your deal, man? And I looked at Wes Waddell, and I said, I'm about to get in a fight in Searcy, Arkansas, with a guy that I have never met before. (laughs) On the parking lot of IHOP with my new church friends. Good impression, Hill. Good impression. And I was sitting, and when we started getting to know each other, and at first, I mean, when I first met Wes, I thought he was a complete jerk. He was a complete jerk. I didn't want anything to do with the guy. And then after the years, I got to know him, and I got to know him, I got to know him. A couple of years ago, me and Wes really bonded over an instance in our past. We were actually both abused as a kid. And we started talking about that, and he started challenging me on – uh on, on, you know, uh, on healing as a choice and wounded heart and things like that. If you've never taken those classes, do it in a group, which is a wonderful thing. Because I did those things by myself in Corpus Christi, and it ended up in isolation, and I ended up depressed. I ended up angry because I had no one to lift me up. And so when Wes started talking to me about these things, I was like, you know, all right, I'll do that. I'll do that. And uh, this guy who I didn't really know, and I was really kind of on the it on, and i was like, ah. Even though we, we'd been through a lot of things together, I'm about to inter- just pour out these things to this guy that I've never met. And to that day and now, because Weth authentically cared about me, and he truly, truly wanted to see me succeed, I can say that I've been free from things in my life that I never thought I'd be free from. And he influenced me in ways that I never thought I'd be influenced. And the, is he a jerk? Yes, he is still a jerk. We all know the guy. But he's a jerk that authentically cares about you. And I'm going to be honest, I've never experienced that until this. And it gave me hope because I'm a jerk. And I thought maybe one day I can authentically care about people. My church, my, my, my history going up with church wasn't very good. Uh, in high school, I used to date a girl. And, uh, and I mean, we, we, we dated for for a little bit and everything. But her church, which happened to be a church of Christ, found out that she was dating me. And they didn't know I was an atheist, they didn't know about my past, I was a really good secret partier, they didn't know about that in my life or anything like that. But what they knew is that I, w- I did not go to their church. So what the elders did is they got together and they called this girl into an elders meeting and said, you're never to see that boy again. You're never to see him again. You're never to talk to him, you're never to have romantic relations, you're never to have anything. You do not talk to him again. And so she came up to me and said, "I got to break up with you." I was like, "Got to break up?" And I mean, I know it doesn't look like right now, but that was a very big shock to me that a woman didn't want to be with me. I mean, and she came up to me and she said, "We got to break up." And I said, "Why?" She said, "My church said we had to break up." And my first, my first thing that I said is, "What kind of cult do you go to?" And I started, I just started belittling her belittling her and uh, you know was her church right yeah she probably shouldn't have been dating me I was a terrible person so they were right on that part but what they weren't right on is that I could change and they weren't right about that and this group at CMU when I met them in 2008 this was the first group that knew anyone could change no matter what you've come from, no matter what you've done, you can sit in the pew your whole life. You could grow up on the streets. You could grow up with parents. You can grow up without parents. This kind of sounds like a Dr. Boost now. You can do it in a box. You can do it in a tox. You can do it in a lock. Anybody can come in Christ and see their potential and grow. Anybody can be turned from an enemy to an ally to God. And this is the first group that did that, and they challenged me in a way And i got to be honest, Wes and I, one of my greatest friends, I love that guy to death. And I thank God every day that we just didn't end it at IHOP because that was a very big thing of going, what's your deal? And I go, I'm out. I just thank God every day I went down that road with him. God wants us to do what? He wants us to influence people around us. Go with me real quick to Daniel. We're going to talk a little bit about Daniel and his relationship to a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar is a fun word to say. Try to say it three times fast. It's really hard to do. You can't do it. All right? Nebuchadnezzar was this uh, amazing king, most powerful king, uh, ruthless Uh, He took over Jerusalem. He did uh, what the exile was. He took Daniel from Jerusalem as a young boy. He made him walk all the way to Babylon, which is around six, seven hundred miles. He made him walk, and it wasn't like a pleasant walk. Like, oh, it's a good day today. I think I'm going to go for a cup of tea. (laughs) No. It was more like a dog sled, mush, 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 go, go, go. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you're worthy. I don't care if you're hungry. I don't care if you're thirsty. You go, because my job is not to make sure that you're well-fed or you're having a good time. My job is that you go from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's my job, and that's what Daniel did. It wasn't a fun trip. And Nebuchadnezzar was this powerful man overseeing all of that. And one night, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 10, all right? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. We're going to start at uh, verse 10. I'm going to read to verse 16. Here we go. These are the visions I saw lying in bed. I looked. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking, by the way. I looked, and there before me, a tree stood in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous, enormous. The tree grew large, strong, and it touched the top of the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. His fruit was abundant. And on it, it was food for all. And under the wild animals found shelter. And the birds lived in its branches. And every creature was fed. And in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked up, and there before me the Holy One, a messenger of God coming down from heaven. He said in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off of its branches, strap off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds and its branches, but leave the stump. Bound with iron and bronze, remain on the ground in a grass, of field. It said loud voice. I mean, it's not a regular voice. I mean, you got a Loud voice, you know what I mean? So it was inside, and it had rounds of iron, and it was stripped on it, and the birds left. But let the stump and roots stay there, and the grass of the field, and let it be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the planet earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given to the mind of an animal till seven times pass before him. And Nebuchadnezzar then woke up. And he said, what does this dream mean? And then he started lining up people. He started lining them up. And he said, what does a dream mean? You see, this is the thing about Nebuchadnezzar. If you made him mad, you would find yourself in a thing like a fiery furnace. He was not known for you could just cross him. If you, inter- uh, this, guy's, uh, this guy's actually so ruthless that earlier in the book, he said, I had a dream. You, tell me what it meant. I don't even know the dream. Tell me the dream. How hard is that? How scary is that? Right now, I just looked at you and you said, yeah, it's terrifying. Like, uh, you dreamed of puppies. I'm going to die, aren't I? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like, that's kind of like how you feel, you know? And Daniel says, and Daniel came up and he actually interpreted the dream. He actually said what the dream was. And so he has a history with Nebuchadnezzar that's a very positive history in dream interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar was so powerful and so scary that he was the uncontested king of the planet. We don't really know how to get this, but he had three palaces over 200 square feet large. Three of them. That's huge. That's massive. He had uh, the walls surrounding him 38 stories tall. He had eight, he had, the walls around him were 87 feet thick. He had chariots. He had 100 gates. And I know chariots aren't a big deal to now, right now, but that would be like saying he had a tank and no one else had a tank. And Nebuchadnezzar had chariots that were so big and so large that they were terrifying in battle. They would scream when they ran down. And those were just the wheels. They're a terrifying place. He had a hundred walls coming into a city. And then he had this thing called the Hanging Garden of Babylon, which was a man-made garden that looked so big it was the size of a mountain. And that was his playthings. This guy has ability. What the Babylonians were known for is they were known for skinning people alive and then letting ants finish the job. That is Nebuchadnezzar. He's a scary guy. He's a guy that you don't mess with and you don't cross. So can you imagine how terrifying Daniel did when he had to go up to him? Let's go to verse 22, and he interprets the dream. Verse 22, Daniel comes up to him and says, "Ah, Your Majesty you are that tree in your dream you have become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to a part of the earth your majesty saw a holy one a messenger come down from heaven saying cut down the tree and destroy it but leave the stump bound it with iron and bronze and in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground and let it be drenched with the dew of heaven let him be live with the wild animals until seven times pass. And this is the interpretation, your majesty, that this decree of the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people. You will live like the wild animals. You will eat like grass, like the ox. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump for the tree and its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge God rules. Verse 27, therefore, your majesty, please accept my advice. Repent. Renounce your sin by doing what's right and wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So the king has this dream and Daniel says, pleads with him and tells him, we must not face what's in the, He, he, he looks at him and he says, please repent, please repent. And the king doesn't. Have you ever gone through a situation like this? I know I have. When you have a good friend that won't listen to the advice that you're trying to give them, you know, maybe it's a relationship they're getting into and you're like, that's a bad relationship, man. No, 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 it's going to be different this time. How's it going to be different this time? Oh, we're not going to sleep together this time. Yeah, that'll work out. It worked so well the first time. You ever had a friend like that that just gets into, gets into situations and gets into things where you're sitting there like, what are you doing? This isn't going to end well. And they're like, it'll be different this time. I got a friend like that. The thing that he struggles with is Alcohol. And I, I, I quit drinking because I I struggle with alcohol. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and he just will not. He, he stops and then he gets back on. And when he gets back on, he's like, it's going to be different this time. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's going to end the exact same as every time like every time before. Repent, change your ways, renounce so you can live the life that God wants you to live. I don't get that. I mean, I do get that to an extent, but it's really hard. It's like the like it's like touching a light socket over and over again and expecting not to shock you. So you go over there and you're like, oh, all right, well, all right. oh, you know, it won't, it will be different this time. It'll be I'm using a nickel, not a quarter. You know, I'm going to go before oh, why, why, why does that happen? Oh, oh, you know what? I'm going to use a penny. I'm going to use a penny. I'm going to put this penny in the light socket. It'll be fine. And you're sitting there, and you're like, why does it keep shocking me? It's like because you keep putting things in the light socket. <laughs> That's where Daniel is with Nebuchadnezzar. Quit putting your finger in a light socket. (laughs) Twelve months later, this is Daniel 4, 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof in the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon that I built with my royal residence? By mighty and power for the glory of my majesty? You don't think he said it like, my majesty, you know. <laughs> this is the glory of my majesty. <laughs> no, man, Nebuchadnezzar no, got, got a man voice. This is my majesty. <laughs> I think the only manlier voice you can get into it is if he did a Darth Vader voice. I can't do a Darth Vader voice, but that's the only thing that I can conviction that would be even more manly than what he just did. He's, he's in there. He's excited about what's going on. He's like, this is what I have created And even while the words were coming out of his lips, a voice came from heaven and said, This is what I decree for you, Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you, and you will be driven away from people, and you will live like wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox, and seven times will pass before you acknowledge the most high God who is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Daniel warned him. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. This is 12 months later after the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar said, look at the mighty place I have created. And God says, look at the mighty thing I'm about to do. You're about to eat grass like an oxen. Watch the glorious Nebuchadnezzar as he watches from a zoo. You're so mighty, Nebuchadnezzar. But you can't even stop the insanity that's coming to your head. Daniel warned him. In verse 27, Daniel says, "My Majesty, if it please accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by, by being kind to the oppressed, and that maybe that prosperity will continue." You know, Daniel didn't have to say that at the end of verse 27, right? Daniel was taken from his, from his home and he was put in Babylon. Daniel was, was moved, and he was taken away, and he has every right to be mad. And when Nebuchadnezzar starts acting and he starts going, and he starts eating grass and he starts growing out his hair and talons, Daniel, in my opinion, has every right to go over there and be like, that's what you get when you take people from your home. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a job where where your boss tells you to do something and you're not really wanting to do that? Me, I used to work at the Buckle. I know, Ooh, you know, I'm <laughs> like, I can put you in some nice pants, you know, I'm <laughs> like, I used to work at the buckle, and the thing that I hated to do was fold. Just, I mean, I'm not detail oriented in any which way, shape, or form. I could not fold to save my life. And look at these hands; they are not folding hands. These hands are for beating people out of bars. They are not for folding clothes. All right? I mean, I got Wreck-It Ralph hands, you know? I mean, and so they would tell me fold. So I would sit there and I would fold and I would do all these things, and something bad would happen to my boss. And I'm like, that's what you get. Someone showed up sick, and you have to work a 12-hour shift. Ha <laughs> you made me fold clothes. You're in the same boat. I do that. I did that. And here's the ultimate example of a guy named Daniel who has every right to do that. You took my dreams. You took my hopes. You took my family. You took my hometown. You took all the memories from my childhood. You stole everything from me, Nebuchadnezzar, and guess what? You deserve it. He didn't do that. He looks at him and he pleads. And pleads means he gets down on his knees and he said, Repent. I don't want these things to happen to you. I don't want this to happen to you. Daniel's a man that knows an intimacy with God that I want to know. To where he can overlook all these things that happened. And he goes, I want you to know that God is bigger than what you're doing, Nebuchadnezzar. You don't have to do that. He actually says in verse 19, which is really interesting, Daniel looks at the king and he says, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies. And it's meaning for your adversaries, but it's meant for you. Daniel authentically cared about Nebuchadnezzar. We have to authentically care about our enemies. It says in Ephesians six seven that serve wholeheartedly as you who are serving the Lord, not people, because you do not know what the Lord will reward you, each one of you, for what uh for what good they do and whatever they are slave or free. What happens when we are serving an enemy if you are serving God? What happens when you start caring about the person that hurts that that you're like I'm going to show you who Jesus is. I'm going to show you what God can do with your life. Let me show you what happens to them and and we'll get to how do you do that but I I want to show you how Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's story ends because it's important if you're going to turn an enemy to an ally that you realize that the story can be glorifying to God. So let's go there real quick. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. This is as a cow. I don't know if he did it in a man voice or a cow voice. I kind of want to think he did it as a cow voice. He looked up to God and goes, But in that moo, that is the very thing that he looks up to God and goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I honored him and I glorify him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal and dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarding as nothing, and he does as he pleases. The powers of heaven and the peoples of earth, and no one can hold him back and say, what have you done? And at the same time, my sanity was restored. King Nebuchadnezzar's honor and splendor and return to him. As the glory of his kingdom. And his advisors and his nobles sought him out once more. And he restored to the throne and became greater than he ever was before. Verse 37, do not miss this. This is really cool. Because this is one of the only, I think this is the only time that a king that's not an Israelite in any which way, shape, or form. A king writes down in the scriptures and glorifies and does something that no other king does. This is why Nebuchadnezzar is so interesting to me. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He could have said, Daniel, write it down. Write down what happened. And he's so excited about it in verse 7, he says, no, I'm going to write it down. How did King Nebuchadnezzar know in those seven years if that would happen? Because Daniel warned him, and I don't think Daniel just left him out in the wilderness. I think Daniel actually came and he helped him. Now, how did Daniel turn Nebuchadnezzar from enemy to ally? There are three things that we must remember when we are going to turn an enemy to ally. And all these things are rooted in one. Is your connectivity to God. How connected to you are God? To God. To God. When you're praying, are you praying that people see your deeds or are you praying to see what God can do? When you're moving on with, and you're doing things, and when I was folding clothes, I was not doing it for God's glory, I was doing it for mine. So, we must be connected with God. And how do you be connected with God? You read the scriptures to change your life because they're living and active and sharper than a double edged sword. You connect with people, not because you like people, but because God likes people and He wants them to see. And then the third thing is you pray, and you pray that the Spirit fervently moves in your life. That's how you be connected to God. So when you're connected to God, and because Dan, Daniel was connected to God, if you're going to move an enemy from an ally, the first thing you need to do is act humbly. David lived out the proverb, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then all comes disgrace also. Humility, and that's something about, about humility. Is, I was talking to a guy one time, and he said, humility is just being a doormat. Oh, Whatever you want, I'll do, right? I'm like, no, that's not humility at all. Humility isn't just let me let run over. I'm a Christian, run all over me. That's not what a humility is. That's not what it is. Humility is not about being a doormat. It's about allowing others, and it's not about allowing others to, to diminish us. It's realizing that any public praise or status falls short than shining God's light in a dark world. Let me say that again. Being humble is realizing that any public praise or status falls short than, glo- than shining God's light in a dark world. Daniel stayed away from seeking his glory, but he actively sought out God's glory. And when you're turning your enemy to an ally, you can't serve your enemy so that your life gets better. You serve them and you love your enemy so that their life can get better. When you, Daniel didn't do it for his own glory. I honestly think that Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar because he truly wanted God to be in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He truly wanted that. So when you live out, you got to be humble. The th- second thing you got to do is you have to be authentic. Authentic. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We must live in a way where you are authentic before your enemies. I love that analogy, a light on a hill. You know, we always sing the song, <laughs> "This little light of I'm gonna let it shine." We always get to put it under a bushel. No, like, well, I mean, technically, if you put it under a bushel, the bushel might catch on fire. Then everyone will know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine. <laughs> One of my favorite ones. Is that, Satan doesn't like it. He can sit on attack. What? <laughs> what? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> i digress you know a light cannot be hidden but man we try to hide it don't we i remember when i was when i was working at the buck when i was doing these things and i was working on the buck and i was doing other jobs and even as a campus ministry i'd go on i'd go out and think and i people would start talking about god and they'd be around and they're like what do you think my first inclination was nothing i think nothing carry on about your conversation i do not want to get involved in any which way shape or form I like to tell you I didn't do that a couple times. And I blamed it on bad attitude or I blamed it on it, but I didn't take the opportunities. I didn't live authentically. We must be authentic about our actions before when you're trying to, cha- when you're trying to turn an enemy from an ally. You have to be authentic in the way you live. You have to be authentic about your questions about God. You have to be authentic about, how, about why, why you're reading. You have to be authentic because the world can spot inauticity a mile away. Nebuchadnezzar could spot inauticity pretty easily. You know what he did with it? He fed it to lions and he put, them in, he put them in furnaces. And the reason why he didn't kill Daniel is because I believe Daniel was truly authentic. And then the third thing that I believe we must do, so you must live humbly. You must live authentically. And the third thing that we must do is we must live opportunistically. Daniel was opportunistic. He could have been quiet and hid his talents from the enemy when, when his enemy needed help. But instead, he chose himself to put himself on the line. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says this, For God's co-workers, we urge you, you do not receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In your time of favor, I heard you. and your day of salvation, I helped you. And Paul says this, I tell you, now is the time of salvation. Now is a day of favor. If you're asking yourselves, when's the time to start reaching out to the people and when's the time to start forgiving that person? Right now. Right now. Now we have to live opportunistically. If Daniel wouldn't have said anything, Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have changed. So are you using your talents so that God can turn your enemies to him? Are we are we secretly wanting our enemies to burn because we feel they deserve that? I was confronted with this in wounded heart a little while back. Of forgiving the guy who abused me from the time I was four to the time I was seven. I was really frustrated, I really had some inner workings of going, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. I'll never forget Janice's words. Do you think they deserve hell? yes and she said did you deserve hell yes she said aren't you glad someone did it for you I said but all the hurt and she said it doesn't change any of the hurt it just changes the judgment judgment was never really ours to command we have to be opportunistic Now that doesn't mean I'm going to let that guy watch my kids. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to forgive him. And I am going to move on. And I'm not going to wish that guy to go to hell anymore. But if that he comes to a relationship with Jesus and whatever that looks like, I'm prepared to do it. We have to be opportunistic. Daniel uh, connected constantly to God so he can do all these things. We must, we must take the opportunities that he's given us. Now what happens when you live like Daniel? Verse 37, we, we already went through it, but I think it's so important to talk about it one, once more. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine the tears of joy Daniel heard when he said these things, when Nebuchadnezzar wrote those down? Seven years he's seen this king act as a wild animal, and now this king's praising God. Not praising himself, but praising God. Daniel changed the history by changing this man's life. And what's really interesting about Daniel is this. He did it with every king he came in contact with. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar. He did it with Darius Mede. He did it with Ex- Xerxes. Yes, the guy from 300. He did it with him. He constantly put himself in people's lives and they constantly kept praising God. I love Daniel in the lion's den when Cyrus at the end goes, when Daniel comes out of the lion's den unscathed and Daniel goes, you're God's God. This whole time I thought I was God, but your God is God. You see, when you live authentically and humbly and opportunistically, people can't help but notice that your life has changed. And you don't do it so that your position gets better. You do it because God is God, and you want their position to get better. It's so exciting. So the, the last thing that I want to tell you guys tonight is this. Turning from enemies to God, a very important verse is found in Romans. At once we were all enemies of God. Do not act like any one of us this whole time. Like, had it figured out since childhood. Do-da, da, de, da. Every one of us has been found on the opposite end of the lines. I met a person one time that said, I've never sinned. I've never sinned at all. Oh, so you're Jesus. Cool. I don't want to follow you. I don't like you, actually. <laughs> That's i because she was, woo, you know. I don't want to do that. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus was the only one in this world who lived a life that was not full of sin. He had no sin at all. And what if Jesus... Withheld us becoming from enemies to God to an ally of God. What if Jesus said, no, we're good. I'm going to have to die on a cross, I'm good. They're going to treat me like what? We're good. I'm going to be constantly followed by people, I'm good. I'm just going to stay up in heaven, we're good. He has every right to say that, but he didn't. And if you call yourselves Christians, we must... Give everyone the same opportunity to follow Christ as was given to us, whether you like them or you don't. Let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've given us. And God, as uh, as we're getting ready for the next thing, for classes and for other things, Father God, I pray that we are going to be humble, Father God. I pray that we are going to be authentic. And God, I pray that we are going to be opportunistic, Father. And God, I pray that we take these things and we go out into the world and we change the world. Not because we're so unique or different, but because you're so unique and different, Father God. Because of what you can do. We don't have the power to get home safely. We don't know, we don't know what's going to happen as soon as we walk out of these walls, Father God. But you do. You have the power to move mountains. You have the power to do things like i never seen before, Father. And God, let us be a part of it. Let us continue to grow, Father God. Let us continue to move mountains because Jesus is who he is, Father. And God, I pray, I pray that right now you put someone on our hearts, someone we need to forgive, someone we need to move on. And Father God, I pray that we move from enemies to allies, Father God. We pray that those people in our lives move from enemy to allies. We love you. We praise you and your thank you. Your holy, majestic name I pray. Amen.